0: Someone get in the bag
1: Well, Paul, we mentioned last Friday when the news came through about Roger Federer's imminent retirement, that we'd been conditioned uh, to the fact it was going to happen given he's been uh, off for a period of time trying to overcome these knee injuries. We hope there was one more Wimbledon left in him, but uh, Friday confirmed that the Labour Cup coming up shortly will be the last time we'll see him playing tennis other than exhibition matches or the like. And to talk about his uh, career and his place in tennis history, uh, we welcome, of course, Leo Schlink. G'day, Leo. How are you? Morning, Andrew. How are you? Oh, I'm very well. Roger Federer. Wow. Well, have we got half an hour? Where do you start? I mean, uh, <laughs> what were your thoughts uh, when you um, finally heard that, you know, this was going to be it after the Lover Cup?
2: Yeah, it was still jolting, even though, um, you know, the, the reality says that at 41... There's not too much time left and um, we were, as you say, um, hoping that there would be one more crack at Wimbledon where he might do something you know, magical again, um, given what happened the last time. But it was still, yeah, still a, a shock in the sense that, yeah, this is finally it. And who knows uh, what will happen at the Labor Cup, at the O2 um, this week. Um, there's speculation from not um, outside, but right inside his camp that um, about... How much he might be able to do at the Labour Cup in terms of can he actually play? Um, so let's hope he can. Um, the, the theory was for a long time that he would play doubles with Rafa. Let's, let's hope that happens. Um, he's um, flying in, he'll be there uh, Wednesday. He's doing, I think he's doing a, a promo at the Tower of London and it'll kick off and get more. We'll know more then, uh, but let's, let's hope he can actually get on the court.
0: Mm. Leo, it comes on the back of Serena Williams' announcement of her retirement or evolving away from the game uh, just a couple of weeks ago. But when you think back, uh, say, 10 years ago, you would never have thought that both of these players would have been playing at 40.
2: Yeah, absolutely right. It's just ridiculous to think that, you know, their birthdays are, are quite close together and the retirement, I think, came around about 12 days apart. And you think about, you know, one's got 23 majors, one's got 20 um, and it's just incredible uh, what they've done for the game, and um, there they are, both gone so quickly. And um, it was only seems like yesterday that Serena is playing her last match against Ilija uh, Tomljanovic. And um, the the last curiosity about Roger, with all that statistical data about him, is that the last Grand Slam set that Roger Federer played was at Wimbledon, and he lost at six love. Um, just doesn't seem right, and I think that's why people were hoping that he could go back and erase that uh, uh, match against Hubert Hurchach when it, clearly he was feeling his knee. But for him to go, it leaves a massive void because of everything he did on the court. Um, he played over 1,500 matches over 24 years, never retired from one once, um, and always carried himself, you know, with an incredible poise. Rarely did you see him say uh, or hear him say anything bad or do anything. He, he, he occasionally um, got a little bit upset, but he kept himself, you know, so well. And now he's gone. Oh, he's going. Um, and um, let's, let's see what happens in the future with um, what he might do on the exhibition tour.
1: Mm. Jeez, I didn't realise the sporting gods can be ruthless, can't they? Six Love is final set in uh, yeah. Grand Slam tennis.
2: Um, incredible. Uh, his first match in a Grand Slam, uh, the Australian Open, he lost first round qualifying uh, to um, Olivier Delatra, a Frenchman, who was you know, a pretty solid player. And the last one, uh, yeah, Six Love is just like, nah, um, you know, a bit of Bradman about it. Um, yeah. Going out there, and um, this is what happens. Sport, you know, it's, um, it's. You are absolutely spot on. It's absolutely ruthless and can, at heart, heartless at times. Um, and Roger, at that time, would have been really annoyed about how his body was, and would have thought, 2020, um, over two years ago. Well, I'm still in my 30s. I can come back and have another crack. And unfortunately, it's gone against him.
0: What, what- Knowing him as you do, Leo, would that would that upset Roger? That that's how he was... That was his last match there at Wimbledon?
2: As a competitor, it would. Um, and then I think on the other the flip side, he'd be grateful to have gone there and played so many times. Uh, but as a competitor, no doubt that would gnaw away at him. I, I think the one that would really get to him is the year before uh, when he had match points in the final against Novak and he missed a forehand that he would have eaten... He could have played it almost blindfolded, um, but he just—that's again sport. But um, he will come away. You could hear the emotion in his voice uh, during even the, at that recorded segment that he did. It was fantastic how he went through and mentioned everybody um, that was integral to him. But you could hear it in his voice—the emotion—and he was always, uh, it still is, a, an incredibly emotional person. So for him, he—I think—he would reflect on 20. 19, 20, 20 at Wimbledon as the uh, ones that for different reasons he wouldn't enjoy that much. Still, of course, he's going to be happy getting to the final. But I think um, the special ones are the ones that he'll be looking on right now and he had so many of those.
1: In terms of special ones, Leo, obviously uh, the last Australian Open coming back from injury would have been one where a lot of people thought perhaps uh, he wasn't going to win another Grand Slam. I suppose the French Open, the one French Open he won when Soderling knocked out uh, Nadal or some of the Wimbledons. I mean well, what two or three matches uh, come to mind uh, for you?
2: It kind of blurs into like this, uh, you know, this amazing montage of what he was able to do and um, I guess when you look at the, his peaks um, I think it was somewhere at uh, uh, 2003 from the, about the time that he uh, won Wimbledon um, beat Mark Philippoussis in his first Grand Slam final and through until 2005 he won 24 finals in a row, not all of the majors obviously, um, but it, to put that in context uh, the next on the list for the most finals won in a row in, in terms of successive streaks is, is Bjorn Borg, he won 15
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and that tells you how good he was but Um, I think at one of the finals against Roddick, I feel sorry for Andy Roddick. I didn't at the time, but I I do now when I look back. um, Just how unlucky he was to bump into Roger at his peak. And there was one match at Wimbledon where he was actually just totally dominating from the baseline, playing, attacking tennis. But he just changed gears and decided to serve volley, just to make an absolute soda of it. And he was that good that he could do that kind of stuff. But it's probably uh, the matches... Um, you know when he was able to just do things that you couldn't see him doing. And for me, the favorite matchup was watching him play Rafa because of the respect they shared and the contrast out there. And he absolutely loved watching and making Rafa run from side to side. And he ended up on the losing side of the ledger. Uh, but I, I think, for me, that'll be the special thing about this week at the Labor Cup, if they can get out there for one more time uh, in a competitive situation. But um, I think off the court, just the little quirky things he did... Um, you know, bowling leg spin at, at practice with Tony Roach. Um, just that kind of stuff. And all the photo he you do with people and the sense of humour he had, it's just just the complete package.
0: What does someone like Roger Federer do now, Leo? Does, does he, He's not going to play. Does he get into tournament organising? What does he do? Do we, do we see him in the commentary box?
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting because um, clearly he doesn't need to do a thing, uh, but he will. He's got... First and foremost, his family, and that's where his focus will be um, because I've given up so much for him. Um, you know, he's got f- um, four children um, and they're already um, still, you know, the, the girls the oldest are still at a reasonably young age, uh, but he's got um, his company with Tony Godsick, his long-time manager. Um, they manage players, um, they're integral to the Labor Cup. There are lots of things that he can do, and he's got his, um, he's got his work right away from the court, um, the humanitarian work that he does um, especially in Africa um, I reckon he'll do a lot more of that and if he wants to he, he can play as many exhibitions as he want and um, you can imagine how lucrative they will be so he's still got a busy life ahead of him um, it's just a shame we, that Wimbledon return that we uh, we dreamt of we're not going to see
1: you know, it's interesting um, when you think about it, uh, Leo, I mean, as great as he was, he wasn't uh, afraid to sort of change. I mean, he went to the bigger racket. He changed coaches to, you know, even towards the end of his... Well, not so much towards the end, but in the middle part of his career to improve his game. He was he was always looking to move ahead, wasn't he? He didn't sort of sit on his laurels thinking, well, I'm the best thing since sliced bread. I'll just keep going as I do. Yeah, that, and that was a constant with him,
2: just that... Um he always had this incessant need to improve, and you look at the coaches that he brought in over the years, some out of necessity. Um, you know, he started with uh, poor old Peter Carter, um, and that was, you know, one of the, the biggest life experiences ever uh, the death of Peter Carter that really shaped Roger's character. And you look at um, photos of Peter Carter, rare as they are, of him playing a sliced backhand, and then you superimpose that on a photo of Roger Federer, it's exactly the same. And then you go to Peter Lundgren, Tony Roach. Ivan um, Lubicic late, um, he's had um, guys in his corner for a long, long time. Uh, the Swiss guys have helped him immensely, and um, then you look at the different things he's done to bring people in to help him. But never he was never afraid to to uh, listen and learn. Right. And I, I guess the other big attachment was his um, association with the the champion uh, Australian players and Rod Laverin Every year he would um, get a letter from Ken Rosewell wishing him the best at the Australian Open. Um, he had this incredible link to all of them and um, he he brought memories of the great Australian game and added and added and took it to an incredibly new level.
0: Leo, just before we let you go, uh, Zach Perton, another treble on the weekend, uh, up and about and flying already just two weeks into the season in Hong Kong?
2: Very much for the game face-on as well. Uh, seven winners across the uh, the first three meetings. Uh, Joe Murrow is back, but yet to... Um, Trouble the scorers, but, um, yeah, so Zach is off to a flyer. Uh, David Hayes had a great weekend as well with the, the, the two feature winners at, at Charts in at the weekend. Um, so, yeah, for Zach and, and for David, and also David Hall, uh, the season has started
0: really well. Good on you, Leo. Always a pleasure. We'll check next week. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Andrew.